We're going to continue our study. In fact, we're going to kind of wrap up the study that we've been in uh, that's titled The Provision of Prayer. In fact, it's been a little series that we've been doing about prayer and and how kind of prayer resources us. In fact, we go to Ephesians chapter 6. If you have God's word, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse 18 through 24. In fact, I'll probably just zero in on one verse today. But we're going to, again, we're just going to continue the study called the provision of prayer. And before I jump into it, I want to just share with you uh, this, uh, this video that I watched about this video. Uh, and it was a video of, of little kids that are probably four or five years of age. In fact, my wife and I just got back from visiting our granddaughter uh, in Florida. Her name is Riley. Hello, Riley. If you're watching online, I just want to say hi to our granddaughter. She's two and a half. And so her mind is on children right now just a little bit because of our granddaughter and just spending time with her. But anyhow, I watched this video of children about four or five years of age. And uh, they were being asked a question by their teacher. And the teacher was asking, what do you do when you pray? And, and, you know, you have to get this in your mind. These guys are four or five. They're just trying to master the English language. So it's fun to listen to them. And they're so cute. And, and they were asked the question, what do you do when you pray? And one little boy, probably four years of age, said, well, I fold my hands. And all the kids that were present, they, they began to do this and they began to do this. And they, you know, they began to just fold their hands in different ways and began to agree that, yeah, you fold your hands when you pray. Well, the teacher repeated the question, what do you do when you pray? Another boy said, well, you kneel. My parents have me kneel by my bed. And, and he was maybe five years of age. And, and so he said, we kneel by the bed. And the other kids agreed. They shook their heads and said, yeah, we kneel. And then one little girl said, when the, the teacher asked the question again, what do you do when you pray? The little girl answered, she's about four years old. You put a smile on Jesus' face. <laughs> I mean, it's so adorable. That's what you do. You put a smile on Jesus' face. And then she asked the question again, and one little boy said, we, we, we tell Jesus about our family members. And it kind of went like that. But, man, the video was so adorable. But there are some things that we could learn from that video. I mean, some reminders of the basics that we approach God in the throne of grace with some honor and some respect. And, and I mean, what a great reminder that when we approach the throne of God himself, he deserves all of that honor and respect. Amen. And so it's worthy, and, and I believe honorable for us to spend some time, you know, understanding prayer or, you know, trying to, you know, learn a little bit about prayer. In fact, the very first sermon that I preached, we spoke about the, the concept of prayer. And we were, you know, based on our study in Ephesians chapter 6 here in verses 18 through 24. And what Paul was talking about when we spoke about the concept of prayer, Paul was talking about how God has given us the provision of prayer for everyday living so that we might be prepared for the spiritual warfare that we might face. In fact, as we were reading Ephesians chapter 6, we learned that the, the enemy of God is Satan and that if he is God's enemy, he is our enemy. In fact, he is roaming to and fro the earth like a lion seeking those that he might devour. In fact, we read in John chapter 8 around verse 40. Through 44, that the enemy, Satan, was a liar in the beginning, has always been a liar, always will be a liar. And so he is a liar of all deceit and cunning. He is an enemy that will do everything that he can in all of his wiles and all of his ways to try to destroy your life. And so we're to be aware of that. And so God has given us the provision of prayer for spiritual warfare. That was the concept of prayer. Then the next week we jumped into the idea of the content of prayer. 
the content of prayer. And then what Paul talked about for just a little bit is that there are prayers that we pray that are prayers in general terms. In other words, we kind of generally pray for our family, say, Lord, bless our family. Or we say, Lord, bless our university, right? Bless our university. Or bless, you know, our, our family trip. And so we kind of pray to God in general terms. But then also there are prayers that are specific prayers. And we pray specifically because, by the way, God wants to hear your prayer and he wants to answer your prayers. And in that message, I shared with you the story of Grace House Ministries and how the young lady that launched that ministry began to pray for some very specific things for that ministry. In fact, she kind of had a laundry list. And about five years later, she came to me and she shared with me how God had met every one of those prayers, those requests that she had presented to him. And she had presented her request specifically and very much in detail. And God answered all of her prayers. And so we learned that in regards to the content of prayer. But I want to pivot one more time because today we're going to talk about the context of prayer. The context of prayer. In fact, we go to Ephesians here in chapter 6, and it's really very, the very first verse. Right out of the starting gate, Paul talks about the context of prayer or the t- context in which we should pray. In fact, Paul says that all of our praying should be done in the Spirit. Just as the Christian life is to be lived in the Spirit, and we read about that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 and verse 16, where, where he says that we're to walk in the Spirit and that we are to live in the Spirit. I mean, get that, you know, kind of in your mind for a moment. What's it mean to walk in the spirit and live in the spirit? In fact, Paul bears down on that and says that we when we are walking in the spirit and we are living in the spirit, there there is some evidence there will be a result. And that result is the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And that becomes obvious because we're walking and living in the spirit in the very same way. Then he takes it to the next level and he says that we are to pray in the spirit. And when we offer prayers in the spirit and we're making supplication for the saints or for our family, then it becomes evident that God has his will and his way working out in our lives because we are praying in the spirit. Now, the question is, I think, that is paramount this this morning is this. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? What does it mean? I mean, think about it. Take a moment and think about the question. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? Well, we look at the word of God and what Paul is teaching us and we learn some things what he would you know, want us to, to understand about prayer. First, it means that we pray in the name of Jesus. In fact, go to John chapter 14. Let's turn there together. Take a moment. Go to John chapter 14 and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 together. I want to read that for you this morning. So we go to John chapter 14. Take a moment and touch that or turn over to John chapter 14. Look at verse 13 and 14 and we read the words of Jesus. It's in red letter. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Remember, this is God. This is Jesus commanding us. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You see, we glorify the father as we pray in Jesus name. God gets a chance to answer our prayers. And so then he is lifted up and glorified because we are praying in the name of the son. And then verse 14, you may ask. Me for anything in my name and I will do it. Again, John 14, 13 to 14. Now, this does not mean that we can attach, you know, the magical phrase in Jesus name at the end of our prayers. And then God is bound to do whatever we, you know, we want him to do just because we use that that phrase. It's not magic. 
And in fact, praying in Jesus' name does not require God to act. In fact, in summer in, in sermon number two, we were wrestling with unanswered prayers. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? We were wrestling with the idea of unanswered prayers and what, what do we do with that? And we determined that God answers by his wisdom in his own time and manner for my good and for his glory. So God answers in the context of the purposes of God. That's how God answers. We talk about prayer. God answers again in the context of the purposes of God for his glory and for our good. And so we understood that there in that that second sermon in the series. So we, we recognize that praying in Jesus name does not require God to act. And prayer in Jesus name does not distract from the fact that we are addressing God the Father. In fact, it's God's will that we pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because we're Trinitarians. We understand there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it's the Father that says, I want you to pray in my Son's name. In fact, he desires this. We go to the scripture and we read there in, in God's word that no man comes to the Father except through the Son. And that's not only true in, as it pertains to salvation, but as we begin to approach the throne of God, he's saying, hey, ask in the name of my Son. Now, I need to say this again. I think I said it already, that God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to answer your prayers. I mean, I know that. And he wants you to ask in Jesus' name. So he wants to answer your prayers, but he wants us to ask in Jesus' name. And, and I get the question, why? I mean, why do we have to pray this way? I understand that. I mean, in my early walk in faith with Jesus Christ, probably as a young man, I, I probably really didn't understand you know, why I was praying in Jesus' name. I probably thought it was just kind of a, a great or a respectful way to kind of end, you know, my conversation with God. And so I did it because I heard everybody else do it, and I said, in Jesus' name. But you see, when we pray in Jesus' name, it is more than just a sign-off. Like saying, ten four, good buddy. My dad had CBs in his truck when I was a kid. And uh, we would talk to other, you know, CB people, people that had CBs, and we each had our little handle. My handle was Peewee because I was a little bitty kid. And when we get done or we're answering in the firmament, we say, 10-4, good buddy. You see, saying, you know, I'm praying this in Jesus' name, it's more than just, you know, a glorious sign-off. Like Walter Cronkite, many years ago, one news anchor by the name of Walter Cronkite would give his report. And at the end of his report, some of you might remember this, he would say, and that's the way it was. Or like Will Ferrell, right, in the movie Anchorman, he would close out his news report by saying, stay classy, San Diego, right? (laughs) Stay classy, San Diego. And, and, and so, you know, when we use this, this phrase, we pray in Jesus' name, it, it's not just a special code. Like we, you know, we give God our list and we talk about all the things that we want God to give attention to. And then at the end, we wink and say, by the way, God, here's the special code in Jesus' name. It's not that. I, I, I really like how Rick Warren helps us, you know, understand, you know, the idea of praying in Jesus' name. And he does it by telling a a cute story about a pastor uh, who is his friend that had a son. And and, and this pastor friend took his son and 14 of his friends to a carnival for his birthday. And, of course, a part of the experience was that they were riding rides. And so what the dad did is he bought a big roll of tickets. And he would stand at the gate of each ride. And as his son and the 14 friends would go through the line, he'd give each kid a ticket, his son and his 14 friends. Well, this went pretty smoothly for a while. About midday, though, he noticed, the father noticed, that there was now a new kid standing in the line. (laughs) 
And it, it was his turn. He had his hand out to get his ticket. This kid that the father had never seen before. And he asked the kid, he said, are you part of my son's birthday party? And the kid said, no. Well, why should I give you a ticket? The father asked. And the boy then turned and pointed to the son. He said, because your son told you to do so. <laughs> I, I love this little story. The point is that when we come to God, we have no right to ask for anything because God has been so generous. He's given us so much already when we think about salvation. But when we come and ask in Jesus name, we come on the merit of Jesus. Because the son says so. So when we ask in Jesus name, it's, it's this relationship that is a very intimate relationship. And we come to the father and it's like we come because, you know, Jesus, you know, has asked us to, to come to the father in this way and to ask in his name. And it gives him honor. So how do we pray in the spirit? Because that's what, you know, that's what Paul says to pray in the spirit. How do we pray in the spirit? We pray by praying in Jesus name. Number two, how do we pray in the spirit? It means that we pray according to the will of God and the nature of God. Now, listen to that. Think about that for a moment. It means that we pray according to the will of God and the nature of God. Now, to understand that, remember, as we read the word of God or as we read what God has to say about himself in regards to his attributes and who he is, the more that we understand who God is. And the more that we understand who God is, the more that we can pray according to his will. And we understand what he wants so we can pray again according to his will. In other words, we allow his word to begin to shape our prayers and the scripture to begin to shape us and to shape our lives. And it begins to have a transformative effect. This means that we acquiesce. This means that we are submitting to the will of God. You say, well, pastor, I mean, put a point on that. Well, we go to Mark chapter 14. If you have God's word, let's turn there together. It's important that we see this text uh, this morning. Mark chapter 14, looking at verse 32 through 38. And I don't want anybody to miss out on this because this is really an important text to understand this dynamic, this principle that we're talking about right now. So go to Mark chapter 14 with me. Uh, Touch that or turn there. Mark chapter 14, begin at verse 32. And this is just a little bit before Jesus Christ is crucified, before the praetorium. It's before the beating begins. And and Jesus already knew what he was probably going to have to face. And we're reading about those emotions here in this passage. So we begin at Mark chapter 14, looking at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Think about this for a moment. That the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I see two things in this very emotional moment in Jesus' life. The first thing is that watching and praying again, listen to this, that watching and praying again becomes the provision That prayer is for us in regards to temptation. 
Remember, watching and praying is so that we are prepared for spiritual warfare, that we, we can handle and we can deal with the temptation that comes our way. Why? Because Satan is our enemy. He's going to attack us. He wants to devour us. He is a liar, has always been a liar, has been a liar from the very beginning. And so how do we deal with this? Well, the provision that God gives us is prayer. I mean, if there's one thing that you leave the series with, one thing that you remember there at home, if there's one thing that you take home, it is this, that the the provision to fight temptation in life is prayer. And so we learn to fight temptation with prayer. That's the first thing that I see. The second thing in this very emotional moment in Jesus' life that I recognize is that Jesus personal is personally is personally agonizing over this idea of what was coming next. In other words, Jesus' personal agonizing preference was to not go to the cross. I mean, you can, you can just almost feel the emotion in the text as you read the text. And Jesus is wrestling through this because he does not want to go to the cross. If possible, take this cup from me. But then he says, he says, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Not my will. Can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine praying that way? Can you imagine what it would be like to say, oh, Lord, you know my heart. And you know what I'm thinking and what I'm hoping that will happen. But, oh, Lord, it's your will that I want. It's your will that I want done. I mean, what, what better way to set the table of prayer and to prepare our hearts for celebration and victory to understand and embrace the very sovereignty of God because we're embracing what the will of God is and not my will. As Jesus says here, not my will, O oh Lord, but your will be done. So we understand if we are to really, you know, grasp what this passage is saying, it means that we are praying according to the will of God. And the nature of God. What is the third one? Here's the third idea. It means that we pray in cooperation with the Spirit of God within our hearts. Think about that. We pray in cooperation with the Spirit of God within our hearts. We understand that it is the Spirit of God that speaks to our spirit. I mean, we've read that in Scripture. We know that it's the Spirit of God that groans with our spirit and intercedes with our spirit. It's the Spirit of God that is guiding us. And it's the Spirit of God that is helped shaping us as we pray that we are praying according to the will of God. And it's that prayer that begins to shape us and transform us. I, I love the way that Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian, said it. He said it this way. He says, prayer does not change God, but it changes the prayer. <laughs> right? It does not change God, but it changes the prayer. And that is the point of all true prayer. It does not serve to alter the plan of God. It does serve to change the one who prays. So so it's like Paul is saying, okay, now when you pray, you're praying about everything and everything that God touches you with and everything that he lays upon your heart or places upon your heart. You're praying because the spirit is guiding you and the spirit is leading you. And now we really understand and embrace Matthew chapter 21 and 22 when Jesus says, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask in prayer. Because you see, the prayer now is in context of the will of God and the sovereign, you know, control of God in our life and that God is moving us and shaping us and, and He is doing things through us and in our prayer that we could never imagine in our own mind in ourselves. What am I saying? I'm saying the plans of God are so much more beautiful than our plans. The plans of God are more beautiful than whatever thing, whatever you could think of and whatever plan that you've had and then all of a sudden the plan becomes this beautiful harmony in life. 
life and this music that we're listening to. And now we're not listening to the beat of our own drum, but we're listening to the music of God. And things begin to unfold in such a beautiful way, in such a way that we could never imagine in our own life, in our own heart. Because God's plan and his sovereignty is so much better than our plan. I believe that with all my heart, folks. I'll never forget a little lady by the name of Mrs. Stanfield. She uh, she was a little lady who was a part of the first church that we pastored. We pastored in Greenville, Texas for about five and a half years. And I had just gotten out of seminary, been out of seminary about nine months and working in the secular workforce for just a little bit. And then one Sunday night, God grabbed me and said, what are you doing? You need to be preaching. He reminded me of that call that I had when I was 15. And, and I said something to the DS because the DS actually his office was just across the street from the church that I attended at the time. And and the DS called me and we went out to this little church. A little church, by the way, that had voted, the church board and the DS had gathered and had a meeting. They had voted to close the church doors because they only had 10 people in worship. Can you imagine that? Only 10 people were gathering for worship. And so I met those 10 people. That was the church and the board. And uh, they interviewed me and I kind of interviewed them. And all of a sudden the spirit came down and God called us to that little church of 10 people. After about a year, we were running maybe 28 or maybe 34 people, something like that. And in that first year, I got to, you know, know Mrs. Stanfield. And what a precious lady. I'm telling you what, what a what a precious lady. She was godly. She was a saint of the church. Everybody loved Mrs. Stanfield. I mean, she was one of those ladies that was just so sweet, you know, I mean, just really sweet. And uh, she was probably about 87, 88 years of age. And I remember going and visiting her. I probably visited her at her home maybe once a month. And she had a little white frame house, kind of a lath shaped white frame house and maybe 900 square feet. And she had a pretty big yard, though. And in the back of her yard, she had one of those bench swings hanging by chains off a big oak tree there in the backyard. This was in Texas. And I remember when I knock on the door, she'd greet me and she said, Pastor, I'll meet you in the back. And so I'd walk around the house and I'd go, you know, sit in that bench swing. And and it was at a level that her feet could just barely touch the ground. And she'd carry out from the back porch there as the screen door would slam shut. She'd carry out some ice cold lemonade every time. She'd bring me some ice cold lemonade and we'd sit in that bench swing. And with her toes, she'd just gently rock the bench swing. And we'd talk about life and we'd watch the butterflies fly by and we talk about the church a little bit and then we'd get around to what am I going to pray about for you? And every time Mrs. Stanfield wanted me to pray for her children, she had, I believe, four children. She had grandchildren, great grandchildren, and every one of them, every single one of them had left the church. They all grew up at that church. It was First Church of the Nazarene in Greenville, Texas. And uh, they'd grown up there, but every one of her children had left the church, had left the faith. Her heart was broken, and she said, Pastor, pray with me for my children. Well, after that first year, soon after that first year, we found out that Mrs. Stanfield had cancer. Well, whoa, my, my phone began to ring, and the kids began to call me. They never came to church. That They, they began to call me and say, Pastor, we've got to pray. Pastor, we need to anoint her with oil. And, and, and I said, okay, yes, we'll pray, and we'll anoint her with oil. And man, we prayed and prayed and prayed for the fire of heaven to come down to touch her body and heal Mrs. Stanford. But you know what? <laughs> Mrs. Stanford went to be with Jesus. She died. Well, we had a funeral, and of course the family showed up for the funeral. The four kids and the grandchildren, the uh, you know, the whole family just showed up, and so the sanctuary is pretty full. 
I, I had maybe done one funeral before that funeral, and, and I don't know what there was about it. It was the Holy Spirit. God began to speak through me. In fact, I, I had some notes there, kind of what I was planning to do, but I ended up leaving the notes, and the Holy Spirit took over, and I just began to preach from my heart. And, man, I, it was one of those moments that you just kind of stand outside of yourself. You know what I mean? I was just standing outside of myself, and the Spirit of God was speaking through me, and I hadn't planned to do this, but I had an altar call at the end of that funeral and you know what all four of her children came to the altar and they gave their heart to Jesus some of the grandkids guess what we were running about 30 28 34 something like that on that very next Sunday after that funeral with an altar call we had 60 people in church and I was in that church for five and a half years it grew to almost 200 I think we're averaging about 180 after five and a half years you know what those children those grandchildren that family they continued to support that church that entire time that I was there but remember now God didn't answer their prayer or did he <laughs> you see God's plan God's way is so much better than our way. It's so much better than what we can design, we can plan. I mean, the music of God is so beautiful and wonderful. And I want to invite you to trust God in that way as you're learning how to pray and you realize that the very context of prayer is that we are praying in the Spirit of God. And when we're praying in the Spirit of God, we're, we're praying according to His will. We're praying the Scripture of God. We are praying that it's God's will, not our will, not my will be done. But it's God's will be done. And I want to invite us to pray that way. I want to invite us to experience revival in our prayer life and revival in our spirit by saying, Father, I want your will to be done. And I'm not saying it's wrong or bad to say, God, would you please do this? God, help me with this. I mean, just talk with God as you would talk with me and and then just be passionate about saying, God, I really want your will, though. I really want your plan. And I believe that you'll be surprised how God begins to answer prayer. And you'll say, wow, that's a better answer than I thought I wanted Because God is sovereign. His plan is better than our plan. His plan is better than your plan. And if you approach prayer that way, I think you'll be surprised what God might do through you as you're praying and talking to him. I'm excited about what God wants to do through your prayer life. I invite you just to pray this way. To trust God and say, Lord, I want your plan. I want your will for my life. And I believe that God will do a wonderful thing through you in your prayer life. In fact, let's pray that way. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, how you've just been directing us in our prayer time. How you've been leading us, Lord, to allow the scripture to shape us and to form us in our prayer life. And that, Lord, that maybe you're changing us more than we're changing our prayers. And, Lord, that's okay because we need to grow and we need to change and we need to become more mature in you. And so, Father, I pray that you just continue to do your work in us. I pray that, Father in heaven, that, Lord, the saints of the church and those that are worshiping with us, whether they're online or whether they're in person, I pray that, Father in heaven, that they would become hungry to say and to pray about your will, what you want to do. And I believe that, Father in heaven, we'll all be surprised. Of what your plan is because it's so much better than our plan. So, Father, today we just come to you and we say this. We trust you, God. We, Lord, trust you with our life. We trust you with our heart. And we pray for your will to be done in our church. For your will to be done in our lives. 
for your will to be done in our heart, God. We love you. We worship you today. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you, God, for teaching us how to pray better. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for participating and just being a part of the worship experience here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. We love you. Please come back again and join us. Join us next time. God bless you. You're dismissed.